What's up, everyone? This is Brian Ward, host of the Data Podcast, the podcast show for dads, about dads, being dads. I'm super excited that you're here and for the guests that I have on the show today. But before we get to the interview, if you have not yet subscribed to my show, please make sure you smash that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Also, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. Uh, really excited for the guest that I have on today because he deals in an area that a lot of people may be struggling in for not only men, but parents in general and kids for that matter as well. But he and I have gotten a chance to connect over social media and uh, what he's doing is very powerful. And that's why I wanted to have him on. So I'm very honored to have my good friend, Simon Rini on Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother. G'day, Brian. How you going, Mike? Doing well. Um, very cool. Let's dive right into it because uh, mm. I want to know a little bit more about you and your backstory, kind of your history, how you got into really um, Simon's you know, background is really in, in dealing with mental health and mental health for, for not only men, but people in general. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see his perspective on the things that we've gone, gone through the last two and a half years. But um, let's, let's dive in for my guests who don't know who you are, my listeners who don't know who you are, your back history, yeah. kind of how you grew up, how you got into it. And then obviously, obviously it's the dad podcast. So I want to know about your kids as well. Yeah. So I'll give a snapshot of where I'm at the moment. So I'm coming at you from Queensland, Sunshine Coast in Australia. Um, I'm a, a husband, I'm a son, I'm a father of two. I've got a five and a half and a two and a half year old. So we're up pretty early in the day. So that's why we're doing this at 6am my time. From the future. And right. um, I'm also a social worker, so I've got my own private mental health therapy business called Mindful Men. Um, but what drove me in to get into Mindful Men and mental health was uh, 30 years living with mental illness myself. So when I was eight years old, I developed what's called obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I've lived with that, you know, I'm 39 now. So I've lived with that since I was eight years old. And then I've had bouts of really bad depression over the years. Uh, anxiety as well. And I even experienced burnout in 2020 as well. So I've lived mental illness for most of my life. But, you know, growing up where I grew up was the northern suburbs of a, of a place called Adelaide in South Australia. And this was in a time, the 80s and 90s, so before um, smartphones, before Facebook and all the social medias and all that type of stuff. And my worldview about how I was to show up as a boy and then to ultimately become a man was, I guess, defined by the, the people around me. And so I grew up with three brothers in the household. I was the third brother in line and and my dad as well. And we, we were very sports orientated family. So we played Australian rules football. Um, so if I'm not sure if you're familiar with that over there, but it's the sport where we run around a big oval and hit each other from all sorts of angles and, and there's no padding and, and it's pretty brutal actually. And and, but, and we were really good at football. Like, you know, we grew up with daddy was really focused on us doing well. And when we went to training and we went to games, we weren't to muck around. It was, you know, focus on what we were doing. And and we also in the summer did uh, track and field as well. So athletics and and he was a very much the similar there. But and so, you know, I, I was around a lot of guys all the time. And then even like when we come home and watch you know, TV, we'd be watching football and, and masculine things. Um, you know, I loved my wrestling at back then, my WWE and WWF and all those types of things. Me and my little brother were right into that. Um, but that, even when we would watch a movie, we'd be watching movies like The Terminator and, and Die Hard and, and Rambo. Like these were very masculine movies. And, and so this is how I knew to be a boy was to be these tough, tough kind of guys. And so like the whole mantra that came with that was that boys don't cry. Boys don't show emotion. Boys need to suck it up and move on. And, and so when I developed OCD at eight years old, I didn't actually have an outlet to tell anybody what was going on. Um, you know, dad didn't talk about emotions or feelings or anything like that. Mum didn't really either. Mum would, you know, give us a cuddle if we we're upset about something, but we wouldn't go into a mental health discussion. In fact, mental health discussions have only been around for me for the last 10 years. Mm. Um, so for 20 years, I bottled, bottled it all up. I was being that boy and man that I was essentially socially conditioned to. And a lot of guys are similar. Like they feel like they can't show emotions or talk about things because that's not masculine. 
And so I bottled it up. And for 20 years, I, I didn't talk about anything to do with mental illness. I, I wore a mask. So inside, I was absolutely hurting. Um, but on the outside, you wouldn't think that there's anything wrong with me. Um, and so, and then even like when I was around 16, 17, we started drinking. So the legal age for drinking here is 18. Um, and then from there, I've had this, you know, 20 or so years of, of drinking kind of to numb the thought processes that go in my mind. And, um, 10 years ago, I, um, my wife, my now wife, you know, she kind of gave me an ultimatum and said, Simon, the way you're showing up in life isn't really how I know you to be. Like, I know you've, you've got a better person inside and you're drinking too much. I was really depressed at the time. <clears throat> and so she said, you really need to go and talk to someone about this. And so 10 years this year was the first time that I went into a doctor's office and I said, I think I've got mental health issues. Um, and from there, we were, I was able to get a referral to a psychologist and, and go in and talk about all the things that I'd been bottling up since I was eight years old. Um, and what we identified was, yep, I had depression. I knew I had depression um, to a lesser extent anxiety, but I'd never heard of what obsessive compulsive disorder was before or OCD. And we traced it back to around that eight years old um, in a schoolyard when a student said to me, Simon, if you don't don't use your voice for more than a minute, you're going to lose your voice forever. And that implanted in me a real fear of, of losing my voice. And so that became my obsessive thought, the obsession in O or OCD, should I say. And then the compulsive act, so the C in OCD was to alleviate the obsession and the anxiety that's caused by that. And so I started humming to myself all day, every day. And with the aim of, of avoiding losing my voice and nobody ever heard me do this. If they did, they never said anything to me. Mm. Um, and so that set that, that happened for about two years. And then it's over the years, OCD has really evolved into different things. Um, I don't do the humming thing anymore, thankfully. Um, but I do a whole bunch of other things like around checking and, and safety and, 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 a lot of obsessive thoughts that get to a point where I often lose track of reality of, of events that happened and, and a lot of anxiety for the future based on these types of thoughts as well. And so living with this, um, I remember around 16, 17, we're coming out of high school and I, I started thinking to myself, what am I going to do when I'm older? I'm not really sure. Um, I would have loved to have played football or, or, or track and field, but I, you know, I started getting into partying and girls and and my focus went away from that and and kind of you know went away and and so I thought oh, I'd love to I'd love to help people similar to me that have gone through whatever I'm going through because at the time I didn't know it was mental health or mental illness because we didn't talk about it in the 80s and 90s and even at the start of the noughties and but I didn't really know how to do that either. So I kind of went on a, a roundabout journey of 15 years in the public service. And that's, that's seen me move around Australia to different places in Australia. Um, but about seven or eight years ago, I started, my, my brain started feeling like it needed more study. And it, you know, I wasn't climbing the corporate ladder. I was stuck in, in a job that I didn't really love. Um, and so I thought I'm going to go back to university and, and this is where I found social work. And then, I identified that social workers could work in mental health. And by this stage, I knew what mental health was. And so, yeah, I started a journey of, of, of studying a master's degree part-time. Uh, I was working full-time at the time in my old job. We had two kids. We had, so we had the kids in this period as well and, and, and COVID. And, and then this is where I hit burnout. <laughs> it all got too much. And I ended up having a, a few months off of work and, and then the idea for Mindful Men kind of sprouted out of out of that. And, you know, I'd always wanted to have my own business. So I started planting those seeds for the business, which is now Mindful Men today. Oh, wow. That's, that's uh, an incredible journey, an incredible story. Uh, obviously, you have two kids now. How old are, what are their ages? Uh, two and a half, or she's almost 16 <laughs> and five and a half. And he's almost 32. So, right. yeah, we're in that, that early stages. And there's a lot of uh, attitude and, and some funny stuff happening in our household at the moment. So yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, we're going to get into all that. But um, I kind of want to back up a little bit because you, you, yeah. you know, unpack a little bit of stuff there that you talked about. You're talking about being a young boy and, and really uh, not really sure what is going on inside 
inside your mind or inside your head. Um, is any of it attributed to, uh, let me, let me, let me start with saying this. I find that in talking to men that have, have issues when it deals with mental health, a lot of it stems from how they're raised, the things that they went through as a young child for you, looking back, did you discover that in the therapy that you went through, um, in the process? Did you discover that a lot of that really started from you know, the environment maybe that you grew up in, not necessarily in the home, but maybe in the school. Um, did you discover that? Um, not before eight years old. Like mum would always say that I was this happy-go-lucky kid. And I, I was really like, you know, happy and, and nothing could phase me. I was a boy's boy type thing. And, but it, when, it wasn't until actually the early teens when things got really bad. So mum and dad split up when they might, in my early teenage years. And, and me and my little brother went with mum. And from there, I kind of had this idea, I don't know where it came from, that I needed to be the man of the house and needed to protect everybody. And so this is where OCD and depression really ramped up in, in, in this period was because I'd spend hours, like literally two to three hours every night checking the locks on every door window, mm. that the blinds were shut in a certain way. Because I had this overwhelming fear that someone would break into the house when we were sleeping steal our stuff because we didn't have much stuff um you know everything was second hand because mum had to to find it you know she was on a cleaner's wage as well so she wasn't earning a lot of money um or they'd come in and kidnap me or my little brother or they'd come in and, and murder us or whatever and you know we didn't live in an overly dangerous place like the northern suburbs of adelaide it, it can be dangerous like in terms of people breaking in but not overly in terms of violence and stuff like that but i just felt this i just felt this real unease and and fear of safety and that stuck with me until today like you know even last night i was up you know a few times checking locks and doors and mm. and all this stuff and I, I don't even live in the northern suburbs of Adelaide anymore i live in the sunshine coast and i know i'm safe but the brain in ocd says that you're unsafe and that you need to do this these behaviors in order to alleviate the distress that's associated with it and I remember being <clears throat> in those teenage years, I was so exhausted from checking things in the nighttime, but I'd also check things during the day at school. And, and you know, my have I got my wallet? Have I got my keys? Because I was petrified if if someone got those two things, they would know where I lived and then I'd, they'd have the, the means to get into the house mm. um, as well. And so I'd be constantly checking these all day. You'd see me unzip my bag, check, zip it back up, check again because I felt like the wallet fell out when I checked. And and so it was just a never ending cycle. Um, and it was during this period that I, um, I was just so exhausted by it. And I put my head on the pillow and I said, I, I just hope I don't wake up, hmm. you know, and, and something in there, like, and it never happened. Obviously I, I woke up and, but I remember saying to myself one night, I was so exhausted. I was so down and out that I said to myself, Simon, the sun will always rise tomorrow. And that, I don't, I don't know where this affirmation or mantra came from. I never was into that. I didn't even know what they are until two years ago. And I, but I said it to myself, and it kind of put that that encouraged me to take my head off the pillow and realize that, yep, yeah, today's pretty dark, but tomorrow's a new opportunity to start again. And and I, I don't know, there's something about the sun is warm. It's it's new life. It's new day. And I've held on to that every day since then. And and. When I am in a dark space, I'll tell myself this this mantra and, and that kind of encourages me just to push through. It doesn't make everything go away and, and better, or, you know, initially, but it certainly does help just to keep me focused and, and push through. But there's been different periods as well. Like high school, I was petrified of people. Um, I had some good friends, but there was a whole bunch of people that I was absolutely petrified because we had a dangerous school. Like people were getting stabbed outside at the bus stop because of gang violence and You'd often see, you know, kids walking around with machetes or knives or, or you know, trolley poles. So the 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 handlebar of a trolley, they'd kick them out and put them in the bag as weapons. And and I mean, remember the first day of high school, on my very first day, I was, you know, I was like excited. I'm coming into high school now, and walked in and I saw a kid get his nose broken and another girl get her head smashed against a brick wall, and I'm just like. I'd been sheltered wow. from all of that, and I'm like, wow. and I think that just really really drove in the insecurities that I was already feeling with the OCD, but then like to the point where I almost walked around school with my head down because I just didn't want to make eye contact with someone 
who could potentially just beat me up for no reason. And I never got beat up, but I spent years petrified of the other kids in the school and even other kids on bus stops, at bus stations, even in university. Like, you know, it was just horrendous. And it's only more recently that I, that's kind of calmed down because I'm a dad now and and I'm not in any environments where I'm, I'm like that. But even in walking through the shops, if I see someone who... I, I, who reminds me of someone back in school or uni, I would I would look down or I'd look the other way or I'd kind of go all weird and nervous and my wife would be like, what are you doing, Simon? <laughs> and I kind of like usher their family in a different way just because of this fear that that just pops into my head and, 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 and yeah, I just need to kind of move away from it. So uh, I don't think I've ever really let, let go of a lot of that stuff, but it certainly got easier as I got older as well. How do you deal with that as a dad? Because... You're, you're dealing in your own struggles right now in, in various areas, but now you've got two kids that you have to mm. protect and watch out for. How do you keep that in check so you're not constantly worried about them? Because, I mean, as parents, we worry about our kids constantly. I have two older boys and even my, you know, my younger son, who's away at college, he's in another state. I still, even though I know he's fine. I, there's that still that constant worry and that's just a natural thing for a parent to go through. But for mm. you with, you know, dealing with the mental health issues that you've dealt with and still deal with today, I mean, I can just imagine that can be extra hard on you as a parent. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and I often have this discussion with my wife is that whenever the kids say they want to do something like go to the park or go do this, something innocent that kids want to do, my immediate response is no. Right. Because And it's not because I don't want to do it. It's because I know all the mental processes I'll have to go through to get through that that thing. Like just to go down to the beach, it's packing everything. It's going to the beach. It's, it's checking that we haven't lost anything, keys, wallets, phones, all that type of stuff. But when we go and do it, it's fun and I have a great time. But it's just the mental processing that comes along with that that automatically has me saying no. And that's something I'm really trying to work on is, is saying yes more and even working with my therapist as well, because I'm a therapy, I'm a therapist in therapy. So right. I'm happy to say that. Like, and there's no, and there's a lot of therapists who feel shame about that because they feel like they also have to be strong and no mental health issues. Similar to a dad, like you feel like you have to be that, but you don't. Like it's it's in reality, you don't. You, wearing your imperfections on your sleeve is actually a healthy thing to do, and it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it is a lot of mental processing and. It's gotten a bit easier. I've, I've relaxed a little bit over the years, like particularly since the second one's come on and we realise, oh, yeah, kids bounce and we're not, you know, the world's not going to end, like if, you know, they fall over or whatever. Um, but it is a lot of mental processing that I've, sometimes I just have to sit with it and and deal with it. But a lot of the time it's avoidance as well. Um, like kids' parties, the, the social anxiety that comes with that, like it's mm -hmm. generally my wife would go to that because I'm just too anxious to go and it's just too much processing. So um, that's stuff I'll work through for a long time and, and I'm okay with that. And as long as the kids know that and they see me, they see me working in the mental health space and they, they recognize that I'm doing this for, for something bigger than me as well. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you'd mentioned that uh, your sobriety um, kicking, you know, drinking uh, that, that I'm sure that you felt that that was part of your escape, um, part mm. of helping you get through or process things that you were going on mentally. You use this outlet. Um, men do that in various ways, whether it's drinking or drugs or gambling or various other addictions that they come up with to help soothe how they're feeling or um, or the struggles they may be going through mentally. I did as well. Um, I, I, you know, I was in the military, I was in the Marine Corps and you know, in the Marines, we did a lot of drinking. And when I got out of the Marines, I grew up in an alcoholic family, but when I got out of the Marines, I continued that drinking, um, uh, continued drinking. And I saw, started to, I was doing it around my kids. Um, and I started to see them grow up in the, in an environment that I grew up in where I'd tell my sons to go get me a beer out of the fridge. And I had to catch myself. Now it was something that my wife and I had talked about. She had recognized my drinking issues and and brought it up to me several times. I tried to deny it or I tried to kind of say it's okay and I don't have a problem. But I realized that it was impacting my family, and that's why I elected to stop. And uh, September was 13 years that I haven't had a drink, and I did that because of my family. 
However, I found that my drinking was masking other issues that I had as a child that I grew up with, that I still carry, that I still have to deal with. Um, For you, getting past that, I know when you're talking to other men that may be struggling in those areas, what's the first step? Because as you said earlier, you know, just wearing, wearing your emotions on your sleeve is okay. That's, that's a huge step. That's similar to our addictions. When we admit, yes, I have an issue that I need to fix. That's a massive step that you can take. And that's the, the, that's the right step to go or right step to take. So um, talk to me a little bit about that and that process for a man that may be struggling in various addictions to try to mask something that he may be feeling internally. Yeah, so this is something I still struggle with. So I, I actually haven't ad- hadn't had a drink since just before AFL Grand Final this year. So that's mid September, and for years it's been a, a process that I've gone through. Like when I first started drinking, it was all about partying and socialization. It was about fitting in, and 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 people would say, Simon, when you drink, you're hilarious. And so I've kind of held on to that since I was sixteen and seventeen, and and what fuels that in Australia is that we have a huge drinking culture. Like it's beer, beer and particularly beer is all over the TV. It's all over our sport advertisements. It's on our, our, you know, we, I love football. So you see it on football jerseys and and all this type of thing. And, and, and so you can't really get away from it. And even when you go to the pub or you catch up with your mates, if you're not drinking, it's really awkward discussions. It's like, Oh, just have one or just have one, just have one. And it's almost like peer pressure to the point we go, okay, I'll have a drink and and we'll get through it. And, but, you know, like similar to what you were describing, like I remember like with my kids so young and even at the start of this year, trying to get my business up and running, like I was a bit stressed and, and trying to transition from my old job. And I was drinking Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, and it used to just be a weekend thing. So I'm starting to recognize, okay, I'm drinking more on, on nights that I don't usually drink as well. And and even the kids started talking about beer and they weren't saying, oh, I'm going to go get you a beer or anything like that, dad. But like my son would be like, oh, beer, beer. Like, and my, even my, do- and my daughter would copy him because she's in that age where right. she's copying everything he says. And I'm starting to think, okay, I'm not, I'm, this is not sitting right me, t- them talking about beer when there's so many other things that a five-year-old and a two-year-old can talk about. And so that kind of prompted me in September this year to kind of put down the drink and say, okay, I'm just going to have a period of time. Cause obviously other people are noticing my kids are noticing. And so I haven't, and I, and I went through AFL grand final day and I was, and I mentioned that because every year since I was 16, I've drank a lot of beer on AFL grand final day. It's kind of like the super bowl day for Australians. And so it, it is a day of sitting in the TV, drinking, you know, probably drink upwards around, I don't know, 12 plus beers. Wow. You know, eat, eating hot dogs or burgers or all that type of stuff. And and so for me, like, it was really anxiety provoking this year to, to come to grand final day and not be drinking. And it just happened to be that we caught up with another family down on the Gold Coast and they're not huge drinkers and I, and I could get through it. And the game was pretty rubbish as well. So the game was over within 10 minutes. You know, the Geelong had, had kicked so many goals that, that the other team wasn't going to come back. So I was like, okay, this is game's not worthwhile watching anyway for the next two hours. So we, we went and did some swimming with the kids. So it was a great diversion. And so these are all what, you know, self-reflective moments, like the kids recognizing it, me recognizing that I was stressed and drinking on different nights. And they're the same things that I talk to with the guys that I work with. You know, I often say, are you drinking too much at the moment? when we start and, and they'll tell me what they're drinking and okay okay is this on a normal process for you do you usually just drink on the weekends or are you drinking weekdays are other people noticing your partner your your friends your kids are they noticing these things and we can start to reflect on that because once i find that we we can reflect inwards and it's those moments where we recognize in ourselves that yeah we, we're doing things that we don't really want to be doing they're the moments that we can start to change behaviors and, and change thought patterns as well. And so for me, for example, that was 10 years ago, recognizing in myself, yeah, I do need to go and speak to a doctor about my mental health issues. Even though my wife kind of gave me the ultimatum, I was at that point where I go, yeah, she's right. I'm, I'm not deflecting this anymore. Uh, I'm not pretending like it doesn't exist anymore. She's right. And I need to do something. 
So it's the same with the kids, you know, me on the couch in the start of this year, it was me reflecting going, okay, this is not right. The kids saying that what they're saying and, and me drinking on different nights is not the same. And it's the same with the guys that I work with as well. When they recognize that, yeah, they're not showing up the way that they do, that's when we can start to really, you know, go at it, go, why are we drinking? Is it stress? Are you stressed at work? Um, you know, we've had COVID as well. We talked a bit about COVID off air and, and COVID for two years has, has really thrown things in the works. Like in Australia, we had, you know, months and months and months of lockdown. So the first time we had a lockdown in Queensland, it was five to six months. So we couldn't leave the house. We can go about 5Ks from the house and we can walk around the local area. Um, but we you know, go to the shops to get some groceries, but but that was pretty much it. And so we were working from home. The kids were home from daycare at the time and school. Um, we were, you know, parenting. You know, I'd walk out of this very room and out there into straight into parenting mode. And and so when you when you couple things that like COVID over and over again, and then we'd come out of lockdown and we'd go back into lockdown and the twenty four seven news cycles. It, it all got get got too much for a lot of people, and we're seeing a huge mental health spike coming out of COVID or even in COVID. Um, you know, the people that live in Victoria and here in Australia, they've been on, I think, the longest lockdown in the world. Um, and they're only start, they, they came out of it only recently, and like yeah. while the rest of Australia was out of it. So they're even watching the rest of Australia out of lockdown, but their state said, no, we're going to do it longer. Um, and so there's a lot of mental health issues, addiction, like drinking just to escape, you know, yeah. escape whatever's going on in life. And, and it's not a healthy coping mechanism, as you could probably agree to, like, it's just something that we just turn to and whether or not that, you know, like my dad didn't drink growing up. Mum didn't drink. Well, mum liked to drink, but she never really drank. Um, it was only more when I got into those teen years and it was the peers that I was around. It was the friendships that I was around. And I really found that exciting because it also helped me relax as well. So when I'm constantly on state, like, like heightened mode to drink, it just helps relax. And so, over the years, I'm trying to find more healthy ways to do that through mindfulness and mindful men's about a mindfulness-based practice. It's recognizing my exercise and so doing more exercise. Um, I've tried meditation. I've tried men's yoga. Uh, I used to play sport, but I get injured too much these days. Like I pull a hamstring straight away as soon as I walk onto an oval. Um, yeah. I'm one of those blokes. Um, so I'm trying to do other things, even just being present with the kids and going for bike rides and stuff like that, trying to focus more on that type of stuff and less on the things that I've used for years, like drinking to cope. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up when we're talking about your kids, because I do want to, um, kind of segue into that with, mm. and I want to kind of, you know, mirror it with the mental health challenges that you're going through. There are a lot of challenges that parents face just, mm in general with kids, but now you've added an element to it, uh, that makes it even that much more difficult. And when we're talking about, you know, trying to overly protecting your kids or, you know, making sure they're in a good environment or constantly worrying, what kind of challenges are you facing as a dad with two young kids and, you know, having to not only talk to people and help people through their mental health issues, but also deal with your own, what kind of challenges are you facing right now as a dad? Yeah, so so OCD for me, it fuels high levels of perfectionism. And so everything has to be perfect because otherwise the mental processing starts. If things are out of place or we're doing something unusual or spontaneous, it really flares things up. And so I'm really, like I've been working with my therapist in the recent months to to purposely fail at things. So I've set my heart, my, my perfectionism bar would be so high for myself, but other people, even my kids, like I expect my five-year-old to be, have the, the mental processing of a 39-year-old bloke, which is just not right. And, and so I'm kind of projecting some of that onto him and, and on my son, and, and it's just not right. So I'm just really trying to f purposely fail and sit with that and recognise that, you know, often parents, they try to be perfect parents, and we, we want to cushion our kids growing up and we want them to have everything in the world that we didn't have, but also we and we kind of lose track of them needing to figure things out on them on their own and 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 their own way of life as well. So I think particularly for me living with mental illness, I just I really really don't want them to grow up in an environment where they feel like they can't talk. And I do a lot of this for my son. I do a lot of the 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 podcasts for my son because I want him to grow up feeling like yeah, dad could talk about his mental health issues and so so can I. I can turn to someone, whether or not it's me, it's my wife or a professional, 
And I want him to see that it's okay to be not okay. And so a lot of that is just wearing my heart on my sleeve and showing him that it's it's okay to be emotional. And he gets really emotional, more so than my daughter. He he's 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 my wife says that he's just like me, which which scares scares me a lot because I just don't want him to go through what I've been through. But at the same time, if he does, it's okay because I know how how to help him or know where to get help for him as well. Um, and but through the therapy journey and through my social work studies, I've come across this concept around good enough parenting, and it's this this idea that we don't have to be 100% right parents and get things right all, all the time because we beat ourselves up as dads and, and mums as well when we don't get things right. Maybe we yell at our, our, you know, our kids are yelling and then we find ourselves yelling at them to stop yelling and, 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 we, and we beat ourselves up or we, maybe we snap, we come home from work and, we, and they want to play with us but we, we focus on other things and we snap at them and, and we get, you know, we feel guilty and shame about that type of stuff. And, and I think the idea around good enough parenting is that you only have to get it right maybe a, th- a third of the time and your kids will still grow up healthy, happy and feel loved and all this type of stuff. And I think by re- reflecting on that and going, okay, yeah, I don't have to be a perfect parent because perfectionism doesn't exist. It's just something that we apply to everything. If we can just get into our heads that we can be good enough parents, we can give ourselves a break as well. And that can alleviate some of our own distresses and mental health issues as well. Because when we feel like we're not getting it right, that drives up anxiety. It drives up depression. Um, You know, if you've got OCD, it might do something like that to your OCD as well. And, And whatever mental illness you're going through, or even just stress in general and we're seeing a huge rise in burnout. So I've experienced burnout too, as I mentioned before, and burnout's becoming a real big thing as well. And then people just feeling like they have to hustle 24-7 when we can take the foot off the gas and just relax a little bit and be okay with that. Like we don't always have to be on the go um, from a family perspective as well. And I think when we think about it like that, we can kind of give ourselves that break and, and just recognize that the world will still turn if we just chill out and, <laughs> and do things that are less perfect as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you're absolutely right. I think parents put um, too much stress on themselves of trying to be the perfect parent. Um, and, and it can go the other way too. There could be parents that are just completely disconnected from their kids. Mm. And both of those scenarios have a very negative impact on your child and your relationship with your child. And your child needs to be able to come home and feel like their home is their safe space, their area where they can open up and communicate with their parents. And if you Mm. put them in a position as a parent to make them feel that that is not the case, that's where the bonds break down and that's where the relationship breaks down. And you'll find that they'll start to rebel in other areas and you're just gonna have a mess on your hands. So like for my wife and I, with our boys, it was a constant reminder to them that, hey, whether you've done something right or wrong, whether you think I'm going to be disappointed in you or not, I still want you to be comfortable to come talk to me. Mm. <clears throat> yes, there may be times where I may be disappointed in the decisions you've made. I've, I've told my boys that there may be times where the, uh, I may be disappointed in what you've done. That's okay. I'm allowed to have those feelings. However, that doesn't mean that that doesn't change the love that I have for you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't change the fact that I'm still going to help you work through that situation. So because of that, because of that level of communication that my wife and I both had with our boys, it's remained constant throughout their lives. There were many struggles, many challenges that they faced as young boys growing up. They're both 20, they're one's 24, the other are going to be 24 this month and the other one's 21. So they still now at the ages that they're at now still talk to us about things that they're maybe feeling or thinking, even if it's something that we've done or didn't do as parents, they'll tell (laughs) us, you know what? I didn't like how you talked to me. Like when you said that, I didn't appreciate that. Those are the kinds of communications uh, that we need to have with our kids and be able to allow them the freedom to have that expression with us as parents. So I think that's critical. Um, You're talking about earlier, you had just mentioned it about your son acting just like you, your wife saying he's, he's just like you now as a, as a parent, as a dad who may be going through some mental health struggles, 
that could be a worry part, a worrying uh, part of us is we can worry as parents that our son or daughter is going to pick up our issues that we have. You struggle with that right now. You're, you're, you admitted it. You're worried about him developing those, those problems or those issues that he's having mentally. What do you say to dads that, that have that stress or that anxiety that, you know what, I'm going through something right now. And I know my son's recognizing it. I don't want him to go down the same road. What do I do? I mean, what am I, how am I supposed to fix that? Yeah. I think, I think there's no fixing to be honest with you. Like, like everyone's different. We're all programmed and wired differently and we're going to respond differently in different things. I think it's just showing by example, like what you're doing, so for me, it is talking a bit on podcasts. He knows all about mindful men, and he's even been on the Mindful Men podcast himself. Cool. And and um, he knows what I'm really into. I'm really into men's mental health, and 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 so I think by just showing him that it's okay to talk and come on the podcast and and to be a therapist and talk in therapy and help other people around mental health, that he recognizes. Okay, okay, yeah you can talk about this stuff and you can, there's treatments available. There's different ways, processes available as well. Um, I think for me in the mental health, thinking about mental health in a parenting perspective, I often, you know, I'm that no guy, I'm the glass half, you know, half empty type of guy. And, and often I find myself trying uh, and, and I had a, a guest on my podcast, Renaud Purifoy, who deals a lot with anger. He's a therapist, he's an ex therapist and, and teacher and he said this amazing quote to me. He said, we teach in unteachable moments. Mm. And so often like when we 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 might be prone to stress or pr- prone to anxiety, so, someone like me who when the kids act up, I act up really quickly. I, I have a very short fuse. And then so the kids get upset and they, they're screaming at something and then I'm trying to teach them, no, you don't do that. You don't do this. And then, you know, trying to discipline them when they're in a, in a position where they can't even put two words together. That's that unteachable moment. And so for me, a lot of it more recently is recognizing, okay, yeah, I've got a bit of a shorter fuse than my wife does perhaps. And so when my kids are really upset, particularly Gus, like it's just waiting for that moment when things calm, then we can have the discussion around what happened, what was the behavior how do we act next time and 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 so forth. And so that for me is something that I need to recognize as a dad and myself that of the way that I'm programmed and how then I communicate that to my son and my daughter as well. And so it's just sitting back sometimes. It's it's just sitting with my own anxieties and, and things that need to be perfect and, and the kids need to be calm because that's the perfectionism thing there that the kids need to be calm and quiet and all that type of stuff. And just sitting with my own anxiety there, and a lot of mental health stuff is we talk in particularly in the mindfulness space. We talk around sitting with it, and so we're triggered. So I'm triggered by the kids going crazy in the house, and I, that's triggering me. And I want them to be quiet and calm because that's perfectionism for me. But I'm got to sit there and I go, okay, yep, I'm getting triggered. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to go in there and try and solve everything. I'm not going to go in there and start yelling. And then I'm going to come to calm down and then the kids will be calm. And then I can say to Gus particularly, because, because Pippa's not really at that point where she can have those deep and meaningfuls. Um, she, you know, I can say to Gus, okay, what was going on there, mate? Like, why were you upset? You know, what, what, how can we do things differently next time? And then he can help do that. He can do that critical reflection on himself with my help and, and, working on it through things like that so yeah recognizing when i'm triggered that he's triggered and and then just sitting with it and just being okay with that and and by displaying that behavior with him i hope that it it instills in him that yeah that what i said before is that he can he can be it's okay to be not okay and that he can talk about it when things calm down and and work through it and there's, there's definitely different processes for different types of children as well like you might have a child with a disability, autism. You know, you might have someone with a child with ADHD or an um, an intellectual disability, cognitive disability. Like there's all sorts of different things that are happening in the world, and and there's different processes for for approaching those types of things as well. Yeah, um, I think the communication, what you were talking about there, helping him work through it, allowing him to kind of speak, um, is super important and. It'll help help him to recognize that. Yeah, uh, this like I said earlier, this is a safe space. My dad's mm. asking me to share my feelings. I'm going to share my feelings, and he's going to uh, respond in a in an appropriate manner and not get mad or yell or get up, you know, frustrated with how I'm 
what, what my, what I'm feeling. So um, I think that's really important. That's, that's great. Um, those levels of, I mean, communication is huge. I mean, it's, a, mm. it's, a, it's an important aspect of our lives, whether it's in business, in our relationships uh, with our spouse, with our kids, the communication is what matters. And if the communication is broken down, you can only imagine where it goes from there. Yeah. Um, so that's really, really important. I'm going to ask you this question. And I think this is really important for men to understand because as a man myself, um, we talk a lot about the masculinity um, and, and uh, we're talking about reaching out and getting therapy. Um, men in general see therapy as failure. And they Hmm. see it as, okay, if I go to therapy, it means I've failed and I don't want to be looked at as a failure. So in your words, speaking as someone who's gone through therapy, I've gone through plenty of therapy myself, speaking as somebody who's gone through therapy and also somebody that's working with men. um, What would you say to, to dads or maybe moms too, but dads in particular, Hey, you know what, Simon, if I come and talk to you, I've looked at, I'm looked at as a failure. Um, So I don't know that I'm comfortable doing that. So my question is, why is therapy important for men? Yeah, I think it all comes down to this really cool quote that I love. It's it's it it's not weak to speak, and like you know, we've been programmed to think that it's weak and 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 feminine and and even like in the eighties and nineties, like we were labelled as gay as well. Like if that you know, if we were anything less than this macho man, and like we were labelled with these things, and so we've we've held on to that, going, I don't I don't want to be seen as weak or gay or feminine or whatever. And so I think if we can just get over that, it's 2022 and recognize that how you're showing up is not how you wanted to show up in life. Like for me, it was drinking too much. And my wife was saying, Simon, you got to go get help because you're, you're depressed. You're, you're snapping all the time. Your OCD is through the roof. And this was a time before kids as well. Um, you're not showing up how you like, how I would, how I know you can show up. And so just re- reflect inwards and, and it doesn't have to be therapy as well in the mental health space. So I always like to, to remind guys to go, okay, are you eating right? Are you eating enough vegetables and, and, and a, a balanced diet? Um, are you drinking too much? If you are maybe pull back a little bit or, you know, or, or have some dry time. Are you sleeping enough as well? Cause if you don't get enough sleep, you're cranky and, and, and you're just running on empty all the time. And are you exercising? They're the four big things. Like you can do those without, doing anything else um so and then if you can find a good friend to talk to or a family member or someone you just trust who's got a good head on their shoulders it doesn't have to be a doctor or a psychologist or a counselor just start the conversations and 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 go past the superficial yeah i'm okay uh, today or whatever like actually go deeper and go actually i'm not doing okay and, and see where that conversation goes because you can do all those things and sometimes alleviate some of this stuff. It could be just prolonged stress that you just need to get off your chest and, and stuff like that. But if you get to that point where you're still not recognizing the, any any gains, it's it's that therapy can certainly help. And and for example, like for OCD, for me with OCD, I never knew I had it unless I went to a psychologist and they diagnosed it. Mm-hmm. And from there, I could go, okay, this is why I think the way I do. And this is why I behave the way I do. And things started to make sense in the world. And all those things that I've been going through since I was, for the 20 years earlier, since I was eight years old, I could understand it. Okay, this is what OCD means. It means an obsessive thought. It means a compulsive behavior. And it's a disorder because it's over an hour of my day. And it really impacts my day. And I'm a firm believer that knowledge is power. So the psychologists, counselors, doctors can give us this knowledge. You know, we don't have to go and do master's degrees like I've done. You can just go and get from the people that have already done the study and they can give you cool tips and tools to do on your own. Um, So I'm I'm really big in mindfulness. So I do a lot of mindfulness-based practices, but I learned that from social workers and counselors and and therapists. And then now I apply that in my own therapy practice with the guys that I work with and they love it. Now we do a lot of stuff around identity and values and and setting goals as well and, and and kind of getting out of the groundhog autopilot, you know, your groundhog day autopilot mode and into a, a mode where we go, yes, I want to spend more time with my kids, or yes, I want to change careers, or yes, I need to change this relationship because it's hurting me and stuff like that. So therapy is not just about sitting there in, in a clinical room and just offloading all your deepest and darkest secrets. It's actually a lot of problem solving as well. Right. It's a lot of goal setting. It's a lot of just shifting your focus and, and being mindful of, 
of who you are in the world because as as time progresses and and i often reflect on this recently is like growing up in the 80s and 90s mum and dad did the best they could with the tools that they had on on hand but now in 2022 there's so much more knowledge about mental health and there's different techniques that you can use like it used to just be cognitive behavioral therapy but now i've been exposed to what's called exposure response prevention which is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy which is really good for ocd and so by learning about that even exists i can go and do it and get better help um, i was talking to a guy on my podcast the other day who was misdiagnosed mm. with um, morbid jealousy but instead he actually had borderline personality disorder mm. and so he'd been on a, on a journey of the wrong treatments and the wrong, wrong medications but it was finally when a progression in in advancements in technology and and, and evidence-based research that he could go okay I don't have morbid jealousy. I've actually got borderline personality disorder and I can get the proper help for that. And he's on a, on a better reco- recovery pathway as well. So things change over time and it's not just a one size fits all. And I often say to guys as well is that you might be experiencing a mental health issue and next to you is a somebody else experiencing a mental health issue. And what they do is they'll compare. It's like, Oh, yours is, yours is worse off. So maybe you've been to war, for example, and you've seen people get shot. You know, you've been in the in the in the armed forces, but mine is my dog died last week, and I had a really big attachment to my dog. And so you go, okay, the guy that went to war, he's he's been through more, so I'm just going to keep quiet about my stuff. I think we need to stop comparing and go. Your stuff with your dog is really important because let's talk about attachment theory with that dog. Right. And the other guy, he's going through PTSD, maybe and depression, and all that type of stuff. So he's got a whole bunch of stuff as well, and. And there's no point comparing because it's like apples and bananas type thing. Right. But just just get out there and talk about it because once you do start talking about it, just life gets a lot easier and you don't have to carry around this baggage forever and you can just kind of let it go and and give that to somebody else, like a trained therapist. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's right. You're you're talking about, you know, all the different uh, things that we can do before we even seek it therapy. You're talking about, you know, eating right, exercising, looking at the habits that you've developed, all those kinds of things and try to work through those. The other thing you talked about was, you know, meditation or yoga, those kind of things really good for the body and good for the mind. Um, those are areas that you can try before you even try therapy. But I really love the fact that you mentioned just talking to a friend or somebody that you trust. Mm. That's really important because that's that's a huge step. You're admitting to somebody else, another human being that you trust in your, in your flaws or your issues that you may be going through or things that you may be struggling with. And they can really help you uh, get a a much more clear perspective on, on what it is you might be feeling. So I I think talking to somebody is massively important. I mean, that's really, really, really critical on that. And I highly recommend talking to somebody that's a friend or something like that. Mm. But the other thing that I like to tell my dads to do is you know, when you're struggling with things going on in your mind and you're really stressed out, you got a lot on your plate and things, you know, things just going crazy in your head, jotting them down, journaling them. Because like you mentioned earlier in the show, you talked about keeping things bottled up. When you journal them, even just writing them down, even though no one may see that piece of paper except you, the fact that you're getting that stuff out on paper uh, getting it out. It's not as bottled up. Now you can see what's mm. going on just from, from the things you've written. So I think journaling is really, really important. And something that even therapists push clients to do is, is start journaling, keeping a, a log of what's, what you're feeling and how things are going in your head um, to help, yeah. you know, maybe diagnose what it is that you're struggling with. So um, that's it. That's a, something that, that I didn't recognize until just the last few years journal, how important journaling was for, uh, for people. And I encourage kids too to journal as well. So, yeah. And both, the, both journaling and talking just disempowers the vo- the, the thoughts because we try to outthink it. Mm-hmm. And, and so by just getting it out onto paper or in, in just in words and talking, it just disempowers it. It just, you, you, you see them for what they are. They're just words and thoughts right. and, and stuff like that. And you can make better sense of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, Simon, I, I, we've gone on for quite a while. We could probably talk for another two or three hours easily. <laughs> uh, but if my, you know, my viewers, my listeners want to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, uh, best place for them to do that. 
Yeah, so I've got the Mindful Men podcast where we talk about all this type of stuff and, and I talk about dadding and, and all this other stuff and I'll get you on the podcast as well. Oh, right? I'm dying to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're in Australia uh, and you want to work with me, um, my website's probably the best. So it's www.mindful-men.com.au um, and that's also got links to my social media as well. So I've just got onto TikTok, <laughs> um, Facebook, uh I've got the podcast up on YouTube. I'm on Instagram as well. I'm pretty much everywhere just talking about this type of stuff and, and, and other stuff that men can be mindful of as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right. Well, cool. Well, Simon, thank you again, my friend. Uh, pleasure to meet you virtually. Finally. Uh, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and also your story, kind of your history of, of what you've gone through personally. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Brian, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed coming on. And, and thanks for holding space for a mental health discussion. It's really important that we do it with each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely important. I think it's uh, especially like we talked about over the last two and a half years, in particular, just the struggles that, that you know, not just talking about men and dads, but people in general, even our kids. Mm. I mean, the mental health struggles that our kids went through during the pandemic, it just is just massive and they don't understand it. And you know what, as, as parents, we've never been through it. So we don't understand it either. We have to try to work together. Um, so yep. yeah, it's, it's been really, really an important topic and one that has really uh, start to, you know, it's really shown its face uh, over the last couple of years. So thank you again, Simon. And listen, guys, make sure that you're checking out his website. Um, if you have questions for him, he's very active on his social media. He'll be happy to answer those questions. Um, but if you want to check out what he's doing, check out his podcast, please do so. There's a lot of great information on there. He's guy's a very smart man. He knows what he's doing. He's gone through the things that he's teaching others. Um, he's gone through it himself. So he knows exactly what he's talking about. So make sure you guys check out what he's doing. Check out his podcast. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the things that uh, his podcast is YouTube, all that stuff. So, and then obviously make sure you guys are subscribing to my show if you haven't as well. So you don't mess good guests like Simon uh, on the show. Uh, make sure you hit that bell and, and uh, that way you get the notification when the show comes out. But uh, again, thank you to my good friend, Simon. And thank you all for watching, listening, wherever you are. I really appreciate it. Mental health is a huge topic right now. And if you're struggling anything in, in any area of mental health, make sure you reach out to somebody, ask somebody for help because uh, that people are willing to help when you ask and uh, you won't know it unless you do. So uh, if you want to reach out to me and talk to me about it, I'm, I'm more than willing to listen and able to listen and, and hear what you have to say and see if I can help you in any way. But um, as always, thank you guys very much for watching, listening, wherever you are. And I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Data. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast and YouTube channel. And please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Would love to hear from you and see what you think of the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes each week. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Data Podcast. Mm -hmm.